Welcome back to The Compass, the sermon-based podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, if you're looking for a church home, a people to connect with, and a place to call your own, let me invite you to join us at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com. If you'd like to call, reach us at 479-442-4634. Now on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is continuing a message that he began last week entitled, If I Die Before I Wake. And this week, he'll be looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Let's listen together. Well, we began a message last week and we want to continue this week. And I want to remind you of that little uh, first prayer that most of us memorized when we were children. And uh, let's say it together. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, that's not a bad prayer even for grown-ups, is it? Certainly, uh, uh, it is a statement of trust in the Lord. But that line, if I should die before I wake, uh, is a line that all too accurately describes um, what has been a very tragic time in the history of our country and continues today. The sad truth of that little nursery prayer is that over the last half century, over the last 49 years, somewhere between 63 and 70 million unborn babies have died before they woke. Of course, I'm speaking of the unspeakable disaster of legalized abortion, abortion on demand. To kind of give you a little perspective about that number, I don't think in terms that big, 63 to 70 million. But let's take the lower, more conservative number, and and let me illustrate it this way, that if you take the number of Americans who were killed, In the wars over 247 years of history of our country, if you take the Revolutionary War, the American Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean conflict, which seemed to resemble more a war than just conflict, the Vietnam War and the Persian Gulf War, if you take the American dead in all of those wars and put them together, it would be less than 3% of the number of abortion deaths over the last half century. Now, three weeks ago, this past Friday morning, kind of what triggered uh, the thoughts for uh, me to share some things with you, some basic biblical truths and convictions with you. Three weeks ago, this past Friday morning, that began to change. At least we hope that it began a change in our country. The nation's Supreme Court justices did the right thing and struck down Roe v. Wade. That was the 1973 decision that stated abortion was a constitutionally protected right in our country. 
It took that decision three weeks ago to correct 49 years uh, of a bad ruling. For Christians, for God's people, June 24th ought to be a day of celebration where we should rejoice from now going forward. But the Dobbs decision three weeks ago basically, now listen closely, revealed a major division within the Lord's church. Something that we did not see over the last three weeks has become known. You see, as long as abortion on demand was the law of the land and deemed a constitutional right, Christians could all claim to be pro-life. We could claim we are pro-life. But now that abortion on demand is no longer a constitutional right, it has revealed that many who professed to be pro-life are not truly pro-life at all. In fact, if you look at the amazing silence of some of our most prominent religious leaders in this country, along with the protest of the Dobbs decision by many professing Christians on social media and other places, we have discovered that there's really and truly a lot of pro-choice people who profess to be followers of Christ. And the question is, how can, how can a person somehow be pro-choice and hold to and believe in what the Scriptures teach? And I believe the answer to that is that we, have, we are living in a time that is a result of a half century of being enculturated by a culture of death all around us. We have been conditioned by the world's values and the world's verbiage. And as George Orwell described it some 75 years ago, long before Roe v. Wade, George Orwell said political speech in our countries basically has one goal, and it is to make lies sound truthful and to make murder respectable. And that's what's been going on in political speech, in social media, in every place where we get our information from institutions of higher learning to the entertainment industry, Hollywood, through all forms of media, TV, radio, internet, social media, we have been brainwashed and programmed to think the world's thoughts about abortion. We've not really thought it through, and we certainly have not thought it through from God's perspective. So what we need is to address the mind and the values of Jesus and look at our mind and our values and to see how closely they match up. Now, we can offer all kinds of arguments on both sides of the abortion issue. Uh, when we address it politically or when we address it 
emotionally, certainly, there's plenty of emotion about it. And we can talk about it pragmatically. But what we need is to how to think biblically, spiritually, and if it is a word, and if it's not, you'll understand, how to think Christianly. How do we think about abortion from a biblical, spiritual, Christian perspective? Now, last week we read a passage from Isaiah 139. Don't turn there. Let me read you just a few verses that were the key part of the message. You've already seen them on the screen earlier in the video. The Lord says, and, or David speaking to the Lord, inspired by the Lord, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of of them. David was saying, from the time that I was conceived in my mother's womb and all the days that I live, that God, everything begins and ends with you. From that psalm, we learn that we are intimately known by God. We are purposefully made by God. And He is a sovereign God who is in complete control of all things. And He is a God who never leaves us alone. So from last week's message, what we emphasize is this. God is pro-life. Now understand, I'm not trying to take God and fit Him into politics. But God is in favor of life. Would you have to agree with that? He created it. We'll talk about that today. And if God is pro-life, then I want to say to you, He is also anti-abortion or anti-death. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a true follower of Christ, a follower of God's Word, and embrace abortion on demand. It just doesn't fit the truth of God's Word. Let me give you more proof for that today. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we read these words. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, 
and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. We thank God for it. Now, over in Genesis chapter 2, the story of man's creation is fleshed out a little bit more. If you want to turn the page and look at it with me, let me continue the reading in verse 7 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature or a living soul. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. What an incredible story of man's beginning, of your beginning, and of my beginning. Like everything else, it begins and ends with God. So how does this creation story, these verses that we've just read, how does this story teach us to think Christianly, biblically, spiritually? How does it teach us to think in regards to the pro-life pro-choice argument that will continue to rage in this country. I have five points. That doesn't surprise you. I'll try to give you four of them in the time we have left and save the last one for next week for it needs to, to stand alone from all the rest. And I hope that you will come back for that. These are four things that basically you know. You know them. But may I remind you of them in light of our current events. Number one, God is the creator of life. God is the creator of life. Everything from the tiniest molecule here that comprises this earth or the inhabitants thereof to deepest space this past week that we've had a chance to look into with this camera. That, is that not amazing? Have you looked at some of those photos of deep, 
deep, deep space. And you see what looks like stars out there, and you realize they're not stars. They're entire galaxies. And every spot, what appears to be every star, has as many as 200 trillion stars in each one. How do, you, how do you fit that into your mind? How do you imagine? I can't even think like that. I mean, I look, I'm pretty amazed just looking at the moon, and it's our nearest neighbor out there somewhere. But I want you to know that God is the creator of all of this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then specifically, that verse in Genesis 2, 7, that God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Jesus, the creator, got down on hands and knees. After speaking everything else into existence, he got down on hands and knees and began to rake together the dust and the dirt and to shape a human form. And even when it was all created in perfection with all of its organs and all of its 600,000 hairs on his head or however many there were with ears that were going to grow. Listen, Adam lived 930 years and that little video said our ears grow as long as we live. Can you imagine what his looked like when God called him home? That just occurred to me. I've never thought of that before till just now. But God formed Adam and shaped him, and he was lifeless until the Lord bent down and breathed something of himself into Adam. And Adam became a living soul created in the image of his God. God is the creator of all life. Apart from God, there is no life at all. Now, man with his knowledge and his medical ability may be able to give you medicines to extend your life or to shorten your life or maybe to manipulate your life to make it better or more comfortable or less painful or whatever, but man cannot create life. Only God can do that. Specifically, we were created by Jesus. Listen to these words from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The word here, W-O-R-D, is capitalized. It's a person. So when it refers to the word, it's referring to Jesus. In the beginning was the word, Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus specifically was the creator, and understand that all creation points towards Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, listen to these words. He is the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is not only the one from whom everything originated, He's not only the one to whom everything returns, He is the one, He is the glue that holds it all together in our lives. Sometimes do you feel like you're on the very edge, like your life is coming apart, like you're about to just lose it all, maybe inwardly, maybe outwardly. Understand, Jesus is the glue that helps you hold together. He is the glue that keeps people from just being slung off into space as this world spins more than a thousand miles an hour on its axis. He is the glue that causes our solar system and the universe to hold together and to fit and to make sense. God is the creator of life. Are we okay with point number one? Do we find agreement there? Let's move on to point number two. Human beings are created in God's image. We've already read that. We've already said that. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us, do you hear the Trinity in that, by the way? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and I don't know why this thought came to mind. You know we're hearing a lot in college athletics today uh, about this whole NIL, this name, image, likeness, that uh, for years uh, universities could use the pictures, the names, the images of their athletes and not have to pay, but now we're, we're having the way made to the paying of college athletes to use their name, their image, their likeness. Have you ever thought about that? That basically you got the NIL from God. You got a name, you got an image, and you got a likeness. You are the sons and daughters of the living God. That's your name. He gave you an image. He gave you a likeness. We're not talking about how it looks on a camera. We're talking about you were created after His image, in His likeness. Now, what does that mean? When God reached His crowning creative act, the formation of human life, the whole wording of Genesis chapter 1 changes. I don't know if you noticed that. It goes from the impersonal, uh, let there be light, let there be night, let there be day. It goes from the creative, impersonal, let there be, to the very intimate expression, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Man did not evolve from lower forms of life, though sometimes we look like that's where our roots came from. We act like. We were created directly by God to represent Him on this earth and to have dominion over every other creature and creation in His name. 
Listen to this quote, would you please? Having God's image and likeness means we are fashioned to resemble and represent God on the earth. Some Christians like to say we are imagers of God, helping us to understand that that God doesn't look like me, God doesn't physically look like you. To be created in His image means we are to be His representative, that we have something in position and in created order that makes us like God as His representatives here. Uh, Changing the noun uh, of image to a verb, imagers. We are imagers of God on earth. Our likeness with God is not a physical resemblance. Instead, God's likeness denotes our capacity to rule over creation and be in relationship with God and other humans and to exercise reason, intelligence, speech, moral consciousness, creativity, rationality, and choice. Since the beginning of time, God has desired to bless us and enjoy a close fellowship with us. And for this reason, He made us like Himself. Now the world today tells us we're just another one of the animals, more highly evolved or whatever. But I'm going to say to you, God didn't breathe a soul into any other animal. They are just animals. They are special. They are unique. And some of them are very precious to us. I don't know if there's going to be. I get asked this question by children I have over the years. I've wondered about it myself. Are there going to be animals in heaven? I hope so. Are there going to be dogs in heaven? I hope so. Are there going to be cats? No way in the world. (laughs) Just my opinion. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If any dog's going to make it to heaven, I've got one who will. He is a black lab named Ezekiel. We call him Zeke. He's handsome. He looks like a dog is supposed to look. He's not one of these weird things like somebody have. That's a mix of this and a mix of that and comes up with something else with a weird name. He's just a black dog, a black lab. But he loves me and he accepts me no matter what kind of mood I'm in, no matter what kind of day I've had, he can come up and lay his chin on the armrest of the chair and he looks at me like, you are the greatest thing in all the world. And I just say, you're right, Zeke, and rub his ears. (laughs) But you know what? He's not self-conscious. He's not. He's not aware of himself. He's not aware of where he came from. He is not aware of the fact, like Isaiah 39 says about you and me, that even before you were conceived, 
all of your days were recorded in God's book. Your conception date, your birth date, your death date are already written in God's book. He's not aware of that. That that astounds me to think about that. When I think about my death date, sometimes I think, Lord, is it today? I feel kind of like it might be. He's not aware of that. He doesn't look up in the sky at night and wonder how God made all of that. Because he's not a living soul. He is a faithful companion. He means a lot to me. But Jesus didn't die for his sins. He doesn't sin. I've had a dog or two that I thought sinned every day. But he doesn't sin. He just does what comes naturally to him. Just instinct. Sometimes he'll chew on something he shouldn't have chewed on. Why did you? If he could answer, he would say, it's just my nature to chew. Why do you do the things you do? For you and me, it's conscious choices. That's the difference. Human beings are created in God's image. We're just not another part of the animal kingdom. We are distinct and separate and unique And every single one of us will someday stand face to face with our Savior to give account of our lives. We are answerable to Him. So, what do we have? We have the fact that uh, God is the creator and author of life and that humans are created in God's image. Let's take it one step further because this one's a little bit controversial. I believe, number three, life begins at conception. At the very moment that the contribution of your father and the contribution of your mother met in the womb of your mother, you started. You started. Now, sometimes we will, the pro-life, or excuse me, the pro-choice argument, even among Christians, even among learned Christians. I remember a pastor in Little Rock, a famous pastor when I was growing up, that taught that human life only began when the baby drew its first breath at the time of birth. That until then, It was not a soul attributable and answerable to God until it drew that first breath. I believe that's wrong. Do you remember King David when he had sinned and he had committed adultery with Bathsheba? You remember that story, don't you? It was a great failure morally on his part. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then when he inquired about who her husband was, found out that Uriah the Hittite was off at war where David should have been with his men instead of standing on his roof looking for women bathing nearby. And Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men, 
one who was specifically devoted to the king and to protect the king. And so he had Uriah killed. Now, he basically manipulated things that put Uriah in the heat of battle and then had his troops withdraw and leave him stranded. But it was murder, just as if David had put the, put the knife in Uriah's heart himself. But do you remember Psalm 51, David's prayer of confession? And repentance. One thing about David, he was a man after God's own heart, and he failed miserably. But every time he failed, he fell forward and he kept pursuing God to the very end. And he prayed this in Psalm 51 Lord, I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And then he said this in verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now he's not talking about sin on his mother's part. She was not being immoral when she conceived him. But in sin did my mother conceive me, being all humans are sinners, that my mother and my father were sinners. And from the time that I was conceived, I was a sinner too. He's talking about inherited sin. He's talking about the nature of of sin, that your sin and my sin that we are answerable to God for is not just made up of the, of the bad choices we make or disobedient things that we do. Our sins are one thing. We commit them daily. Our sin nature is another thing. It's where all sins flow from, from our basic nature down deep inside. That's why I said a couple of weeks ago in maybe a smart-alecky way about those two little beautiful twins in our nursery every Sunday that even as sweet as those little girls are, they are little sinners. They inherited a sin nature from their parents just like you inherited it and I inherited it and, and every human being has inherited it since Adam and Eve, it gets passed on in our very DNA. Now, what does that have to do with the whole argument about abortion? Follow me here. I want to try to connect some dots. That passage is not speaking about abortion at all. David is just saying that he considered life to begin at the moment of conception, not 24 weeks later, not after the baby draws its first breath, or any other time, that the moment a child is conceived, a child, listen to me now, is a person. A person. Did you know that Roe v. Wade in 1973 
that decision that gave us abortion on demand and said it is a constitutionally protected right. A decision that, listen to me now, denied the personhood of unborn babies. Roe v. Wade said they are not persons, they are possessions of the mother. And for 49 years, we have seen babies aborted right up even into the final weeks of their development in the mother's womb. They're not persons. That's why we call them a fetus. But did you know that this is not the first ruling of the Supreme Court that denied personhood to a whole segment of our population? On March the 6th in 1857, Chief Justice Robert B. Taney read the majority opinion of the court, which stated that enslaved people were not citizens of the United States. And slaves could therefore not expect any protection from the federal government are the courts. The opinion also went on to state that Congress had no authority to ban slavery from a federal territory. The result is this. A slave is not a person to be recognized. A slave was property to do what you will with. That decision, Scott versus Sanford, was considered by many legal scholars to be the worst ever rendered by the Supreme Court. It led very quickly into a civil war that ripped this country apart. But as bad as that decision was, and as obnoxious as it is for us to even think about it today, do you realize that Roe v. Wade led to the deaths of many more persons, just unborn persons, not black persons, not people from Africa, not people from some other place that made them look different from us, but people that were a part of us could legally be put to death. People are going to die. That's what's being said today after the result of the decision three weeks ago. People are going to die. May I ask the question, what do you think has been happening for 49 years and continues today? People, persons, created in the image of God, are dying. Half of the people who go into an abortion clinic in this country do not come out again. It is always the unborn, the God-given life of the baby that is destroyed. So, God is the author of life. Humans are created in God's image. 
I believe life begins at conception. I think we're on dangerous ground when we try to say anything different except from the moment that the spark of life is created inside of a woman. And let me close with this. It's time to be through. Follow me now. Satan is the destroyer of life. Satan is the destroyer of life. In John chapter 10, Jesus gives us the teaching that he is the door to the sheepfold. Only through Jesus can anyone enter into the protection and safety of the good shepherd, into the protection and safety of heaven someday. He goes on to say that he's not only the door, he is the good shepherd himself. It's a passage of love and care, God's love for us. But in the midst of that great chapter of God's Word, we are reminded that there's not only a door, which is Jesus, and there's not only a good shepherd, which is Jesus, but there is a thief out there to beware of. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. In contrast, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Who is the thief? He's the very one Peter spoke about in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, when he warns us, be sober, be vigilant. Why? Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is a destroyer. If he cannot destroy the gospel and keep you out of heaven, then he will do all he can to destroy your life in this world, to destroy your joy, to destroy your peace. He is a thief and a robber. He is a roaring lion. He is evil. And all that he does is evil. And all that he offers you and me in temptation or deception is exactly that. It is deception. When he came to Eve in the garden and deceived her, he caused her to question God's word. And when she questioned God's word, she was left to her human reason. That's why I said, concerning this thing called abortion on demand, we've got to think not pragmatically from a worldly viewpoint, not politically red or blue, not emotionally, how your emotions get stirred up over the whole argument. We don't even need to think philosophically. We need to think biblically. Why? Because the devil, as a roaring lion, is a deceiver. Beloved, an abortion clinic or women's health clinic, whatever it's called, if it is a place that performs abortions on, on demand, 
That is a place that is the devil's playground. It is not doing the work of God. An abortionist is not helping to maintain or make better or improve the life God has given. It may all be said that it is on the benefit of this person or that person, but it's never the benefit of the baby who is the most innocent among us. As a church family, as Christian people who follow Christ, we must be people who are pro-life. 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 Pro-eternal life. Pro-abundant life. Pro-life in every respect. God is the creator of life. Life points to Him. We are created in the image and likeness of God Himself. Life begins at conception. And Satan is the destroyer of life. There's a fifth point. Much too significant to consider today. It is a truth that you need to pray for yourself and for me as we prepare for it next Sunday should God give us another week in this world. Father, thank you so much for your son Jesus Christ. Thank you that he created us. He created Adam with his very own hands. And then, Father, he did that knowing what it would cost him. That he would come into this world and give his life. And to die as the sacrifice for our sins. And knowing what it would cost him, he created us anyway. Thank you so much for the love expressed in that truth. Thank you so much for the blessings of life that you've given to us. May we be champions of your word and champions of your truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.